continue with our time together this morning. Uh, my name is Brad, and uh, this is Meg, and we're going to be sharing a little bit uh, this morning about some of the work that God has put in front of us as a community uh, in global missions, and so particularly in the country of Tanzania. And just to uh, give you a little bit of a sense of the work, maybe you're brand new to this, and so there's a short video that we want to play that will help introduce you uh, a little bit to the work that we do with people with albinism in Tanzania. So let's watch this. Imagine a life spent hidden from the sun. A life of solitude, trapped by the fear of discrimination and violence from your own community. A life faced with the risk of being murdered in your own home, your organs sold on the black market and used in rituals. Just because of a lack of pigment in your skin, something you were born with. In many countries across Africa, this is the life of someone born with albinism. But it doesn't have to be. Mary Emanuel was a young girl that I heard about back in 2009 during my first trip to Tanzania. She had albinism and she was attacked because it was believed by witch doctors and their clients that her body parts had value. People with albinism in African countries have faced discrimination for a long, long time. In the absence of any medical explanation, it's assumed they're a curse, they're a ghost, that they're evil, and so they're immediately ostracized, they're immediately excluded. Sometimes babies are killed at birth. They're often not able to go to school. They often die prematurely of skin cancer due to lack of sun protection. It's a difficult life. When I read the story, it touched my heart. Because I have albinism, simply put, I get it. These are my people, and they are being killed, and they're being slaughtered like animals. I have to go and see if I can do something to help. Under the same sun, our reason for existence, our, our vision, if you will, is to end discrimination against people with albinism. So then we had to ask ourselves, what's the best way to end discrimination? You're trying to change hearts and minds by using a two-pronged approach. Firstly, we take students with albinism who are not attending school or who are underperforming in their existing schools. We place them in high-quality private educational institutions from kindergarten all the way to university, and we give them the best education possible and all the tools necessary to succeed. The second prong in our approach is public education. You have to change thinking. And by humanizing the condition and bringing educated, successful people with albinism on our staff, physically in front of village elders, community leaders, community members, and letting them talk about who they are, what they've achieved, and causing people to see that their fellow citizens with albinism are normal, intelligent people, begins to change hearts and minds. Our plan includes having other supporters come alongside to give us the resources that we need to do more of the good work we're already doing. We'd love to expand our career placement program. More of our students are getting older and they're going to need assistance to fight the prejudice in the workplace, to give employers education, and to follow up with our students to ensure that they're placed for success. We need to expand our education program to take in more students who need an opportunity to education who don't have one today. And we need to continue to educate the public. We can never stop. I have a dream one day that people with albinism in Tanzania, in Africa, and all over the world will take their rightful place in every level of society and that the days of discrimination will become a faint memory.
So uh, in order to understand a little bit about the work and the partnership that Jericho has, you have to understand a little bit about albinism. And albinism is a genetic condition and it's a recessive gene actually, so it's inherited from both your mother and your father. They have to possess the gene in order for you to have albinism. Um, and albinism results in uh, a lack of pigmentation in your hair, in your skin, in your eyes. Uh, and so it, a lot of people with albinism in Africa end up dying prematurely because of exposure to the sun and skin cancer because they just don't know uh, that that is part of what the condition entails for them. And uh, albinism occurs uh, everywhere in the world, actually. Yeah, um, you can see from the pictures, there's every country um, is represented, although they think that the gene originated in Africa, which is why the rate is so high. So here it would be one in 20,000. So Peter is your one in 20,000, who's not here today. Um, but in Africa, it's um, one in every 1,400. Um, so it's, it's much more common. But you would see it in every, um, every people group as well as every animal group. So in Peter talked a little bit about in that video that uh, because of his uh, albinism, he pays attention all the time to what's going on uh, in, in the world. And so in 2008, he heard about stories in Tanzania of people being attacked because they uh, had albinism. And so he founded a charity called Under the Same Sun and uh, began working there to try and end uh, discrimination and to try and put a, a, a stop to what was happening there. And in 2008, uh, there were over 40 attacks in Tanzania alone. It's happened in 27 different countries all over the world, uh, but in Tanzania, where it's kind of the epicenter, in 2008, 40 people were attacked and many of them were murdered um, uh, because they were a person with albinism. But last year, in 2017, in Tanzania, only six people were attacked, and there have been no murders since 2015. And so the work uh, is making significant progress, and so it's a real time and moment to celebrate. Six is still too many. That's still six too many. Uh, but it's an amazing journey that Under the Same Sun has been on uh, since 2008. In um, 2011, um, Peter was attending our church, and he said, why don't you come to the gala for Under the Same Sun? And so um, we went, and we didn't really know why. We went actually just to support Peter and to kind of understand what he was doing. And I, I remember not really wanting to go either, because it was a night out, like just purely selfish reasons. Um, but I remember this, um, like I can't really explain the experience, but you just sit and you just go, whole, wow, like the Lord has something here for us. And um, we watched a documentary that, that Under the Same Sun had made called White and Black. Um, and just the Holy Spirit just totally said, I have something for you in this. Um, that's kind of the only way I can describe it. I don't really know how to put it into words. I'd never had, I'd never known anybody with albinism. I had never um, traveled to Africa. I wasn't opposed, but it was nothing, something I was looking for. And I think, um, you know, we just, God just gripped our hearts, and we couldn't unsee what we saw, just as similar to you now, as you have now been exposed to something that probably when you came this morning, you did not know. Now you cannot unknow it. And so it was an issue for us of now, now what do we do with that? What, what is our role? What does God have for us in that? And um, part of really wrestling with that and, and figuring that out was to try and determine, well, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean for us 
personally, and then what does it mean for uh, us as a community here at Jericho? And so one of the things that, that I did is I said, well, why don't I go to Tanzania and just see, get on the ground and see the work that's being done there? And so in 2012, I went for the first time and it, it just even more gripped my heart just to see and sit with some of the kids, listen to their stories about what they were facing and what they were surviving. And, and when I came home from that, I really began to think about, you know, the approach of Under the Same Sun is working with education and working with advocacy. So a lot of groups with working with the government, working with the United Nations, and then working with schools. And the thing that I just kept thinking about is I have a deep conviction that the local church was missing in that conversation. And that the local church is really the hope of the world and God's vehicle for uh, seeing change come to people's lives and communities. And so when I came home, I just began to think and pray and ask God, is there a place for the church in the work with people with albinism uh, in Tanzania? And how could the church actually care for these kids in practical, meaningful ways? And um, so one of the, the developments out of that is um, each year we've seen people from Tanzania actually come and visit us here at Jericho Ridge. So there have been eight people that have come from Africa over the last number of years that have uh, spent time here at Jericho. I don't know if, how many of you remember Adam Roberts, the young man, when he came for his surgery here in Vancouver? All right, so a number of you um, had Adam either in your home or uh, a lot of the kids here wrote cards for him or visited with Adam when he was here. Um, or last year we had uh, Miriam come uh, with uh, Rahab, her caregiver, and Miriam lost her arms to an attack. And Miriam is an incredible woman. She's feisty. She is, uh, last weekend, she just finished a practice climb. Uh, she and five other women with albinism from all over sub-Saharan Africa are going to, in September, climb Mount Kilimanjaro. She doesn't have arms. She's never done anything like this before ever in her life. And so it's called the Climb for Albinism. And it's a way of um, promoting awareness and just giving a little bit of a picture as to what some of these women can do. And uh, Miriam is going to, she's, she's right up there with them learning about mountaineering and how to get up and survive at low altitude. And so um, if you want to follow along, you can look on, on Facebook or on Twitter uh, or go to climbforalbinism.com, and Miriam's story is featured pretty prominently there, and uh, you'll, you'll be able to kind of track with them. Uh, if you're a teacher, or if you're a parent, you want to kind of use that as an educational moment for your kids, there's a lot of resources. It's a Canadian filmmaker who's doing that and documenting it and doing a good job with that. So that's just another way of kind of keeping up with Miriam, uh, who was here last year with us. In 2013, we um, hosted our first summer camp, Summer camp is not a concept in Africa. Um, so the kids that are in the program, they primarily are in education. Well, they all are in schools that are with pigmented people. So, so kids who have albinism and kids who don't. And that's to reduce stig stigma so that they learn how to kind of live together. Um, but the kids who have pigment, they all go home for the summer. And that's safe. But these kids, it's not, many of them are orphans. And if they're not orphans, it's not safe for them to leave school. Um, they are given security there that they need um, for the, their safety. 
And so it was this notion of, Brad had this notion of just what would it look like to, to do something for them because they literally kind of sit under trees and chill out for weeks um, waiting for school to resume. So there were seven of us that went on our first summer camp. It was a huge learning curve. Um, but our theme really was um, to teach kids that God valued them. And that, you know, we, we get that. Like, God values me, kind of. Um, but if you were also in a, in a family where you weren't valued, and then top on the value, society told you you don't even exist. You're a ghost. You have no value, no meaning. You don't have any abilities. You can't read. You can't, you couldn't be anything. Like, for these kids, this was, it took, it took a while for them to go, really? Like, you really think that God values me? Um, and it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, yeah. So we, as the kids continue to grow and develop, there's about 300 kids that Under the Same Sun funds their uh, education. So we went back a couple of years ago and did another summer camp in 2016. And so the theme uh, for this one was from Philippians 4.13. Does anybody know what Philippians 4.13 says? In, you can do it in English if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes, that's right. So in Swahili, Ali, help us with it. Yeah, that's what it says. Nayaweza mamboyote katika yeye antika nguvu, right? The, my last two words are a little bit sketchy there, but it's close. It's close. So just reinforcing to the kids again, like you can do things was huge for them to hear. And you can do things not just because God values you as a person, as a person, we value you, but also because God uh, is going to give you the strength to do that. And so we would do things like, um, well, how many of you went to summer camp at some point in your experience? So we would do like summer camp type things. We would do like art for and with the kids. And some of them are incredible artists, but no one's ever put any type of art supplies in front of them before because they have low vision. So people think, ah, they're pretty much blind. They can't do anything. Uh, some of them are now growing to the place where they can actually sell their art and use it as a bit of uh, a living for them. Uh, we also did things like introducing them to hockey uh, because uh, wouldn't that be a great Canadian thing to take root in Africa? But the kids can't play sports because of their vision. And so the it, when the sun, they can't be outside. So we would convert like dining halls and give them really bright pennies and tape up the sticks with the same color of tape so they could see and make the ball really big and put a bell inside of it so they could hear it as well as see it. And they took to hockey like any Canadian kids would take to hockey, minus the skates. We didn't think that would go over well or we could nice. exercise that. That wouldn't really work. But um, just helping them actually feel like they could have fun and succeed at something simple, like team sports, and then they all went for nap time after that. It was pretty tiring uh, for them. But just that environment of, of summer camp to show them that they could do things and give them the right tools and skills to allow them to was just really, really powerful for them. Um, so we've gone back to Tanzania every year <laughs> since. If you had asked me in 2011 at the gala, I would never have told you that that would have been what I thought we would be doing. Um, and so we just want to let you know what we've been up to, um, what the work um, with the persons with albinism in Tanzania is, and kind of to also let you have a little insight into what God's teaching us, um, especially since we spent a month there um, last year on our sabbatical. And then, again, we were there for two weeks in February. So one of the things that, um, for me, I didn't think a lot about 
in my growing up experience um, was James chapter one, verse 27, where James says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So this notion of caring for orphans and widows and trying to figure out what does that look like in a practical way and then how would I participate in that uh, was something that just wasn't a world that I was really actively thinking about. But when it came to working with people with albinism, these kids and a lot of these mothers uh, have been abandoned by their husbands because simply because they've had a child with albinism and then the husband believes that that's brought a curse into the family and so just leaves them. Or these kids that have been orphaned uh, simply because they were born with a genetic condition that their parents gave them, but their parents maybe didn't know that they possessed that gene. And so trying to figure out what does it look like and mean for me personally, for us as a family to care for orphans and widows in practical ways has been a bit of a journey. So last summer we, um, we flew to Tanzania. We had a rough outline of maybe the things that we could offer, the things we would do. We knew we would be working with churches. Um, we knew we wanted to encourage the staff there. Um, and we knew we'd meet kids. Um, so um, it was interesting to see how Jericho was on this journey of prayer ministry, and then suddenly that was the very first thing that we did. Um, so here I'm praying with one of the staff members. We met with every single staff member one-on-one, -on -one, um, heard a bit of their story and prayed with them. And then over the course, I sat with, I sat with over 100 children back to back to back and listened to their stories. And you go numb. Um, I don't know if you've met a lot of kids with trauma, um, every kid, no matter their situation, has trauma in their life because they are no longer with their families. Um, you, I heard repeatedly, um, my mom, I would be like, tell me a bit about your family, where are you from? More chit-chat just to make them comfortable. I mean, we knew most of the kids. Um, and I heard repeatedly, my mom dropped me off at school seven years ago and I haven't seen her since. And you just, you know, and I'm sitting there with my kids. Um, it just sucks. <laughs> like, it's just not the way it's supposed to be. Um, so anyways, we prayed. We prayed a lot, um, and we tried to figure out how we could love them and also how we could support under the same sun because they're essentially these kids' parents. Yeah. They're their foster parents. And so the two staff that work primarily at this one school, I mean, th she is a mother to, like, I don't know, 100 teenagers? <laughs> like, you think you have a bad... This woman has 100 teenagers, and they all have trauma. Um, and, you know, if the kid needs clothes, if the kid's sick, if the kid... Like, they are first responders. And so we really felt like what we wanted to do was encourage, encourage the staff in any way we could. Um, yeah. And Under the Same Sun has 22 staff members working in Tanzania, but still 22 of them trying to really act as foster parents for over 300 kids is a big challenge. And so that's again where my heart for the church came in and trying to uh, make sure that the 22 staff aren't doing all the heavy lifting and share the burden around. So one of the things that I've done every time that we've gone to Tanzania is just meet with local pastors and try and engage and encourage them to take up a ministry to people with albinism in their own communities. Just try and create some, a space in their church where people who are different 
are welcome in their congregation. And so we'll take them out to schools to meet with uh, the kids and to pray for and with the kids. Uh, we'll, we'll try and help them understand that a lot of the churches in Tanzania have real strong missions programs. And so they'll go to other areas in Tanzania. And one of the pastors all of a sudden one time said, wait a minute, our church is so focused on unreached people groups all over Tanzania. And then here, what I've realized is there's an unreached people group right in my backyard. They have albinism and no churches are reaching out to them. And yet there's thousands and thousands of them. Like our church really could begin, begin to get involved and engaged uh, in that. And so it's, a, it's an uphill battle uh, to try and engage the heart of pastors and engage the hearts of churches there because the church has adopted all of the same stigmas and values that the culture has related to people with albinism. Many of the pastors, I'm, I'm butting in, many of the pastors too, they're not in, they, they just don't have the information. So they don't know that this is genetic. So they don't know that, that the mother and the father are the carriers and that produces the child. So, so even um, we partnered with Heather the Same Son with the pastors to educate them. Like this is genetics 101. Yeah. Um, so not just the myth, myth mythological, like not just the stereotypes that exist in society, but also just the, the facts about albinism. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a culture um, still that has so many elements of superstition and elements of beliefs that are deeply rooted. Um, so one of the examples of that was I met with a, a whole group of Lutheran bishops uh, this last trip when we were there in February, and one of the things that they had done was they were trying to educate their communities, and so they hosted a soccer game or a football game, and so the Lutherans were going to play, and they were going to play against the witch doctors. And uh, so the witch doctors had gone out beforehand and had uh, cursed the field that they were going to play on and made sure that the Lutherans knew it and that they were going to lose because, you know, the witch doctors had all this power and uh, all the people in the community were like, whoa, okay, well, the witch doctors have thrown it down. And then the Lutherans went out and they prayed over the field and they said, you know, God is more powerful than these witch doctors. And I thought, well, this is going to be really interesting to see who wins this, you know. And at the end of the day, the Lutherans decimated the witch doctors to the great uh, excitement of everybody in the community. And, and you could see the civic leaders came out and they went and uh, they said, okay, they went on television and said, you can see here how the Lutherans have played and prayed and you can see here how the witch doctors have cursed the field and they have lost. So it's clear to us and to everyone that the Lutherans are better than the witch doctors. Uh, and so like this is the world in, in which they live and, and the world in which the people of Tanzania and people with albinism find themselves. And so the church really um, has a part to play and some authority to play spiritually in, in this realm. And so that's been really uh, part of my heart for this as a pastor. Because as a local pastor uh, and a pastoral couple, we have a unique voice that we can kind of speak into uh, these situations. And so whenever we go to, to Tanzania, I'll preach as many times as our opportunities. And so when we were there over uh, the, uh, the course of a sabbatical, just preach dozens and dozens and dozens of times in churches uh, all over the country and uh, really trying to challenge and encourage churches, especially in rural zones, um, because 
the church, just like anywhere, the church here in uh, Langley, we can get real inward focused and focused on what's going on in our world. And here at Jericho, one of the ways we're working to kind of stand against that or take steps uh, is the facility piece for us, which you can see in the ministry night packet. Mike will talk a little more about that later on. But the church in Tanzania is really working hard too to become a little bit more outward focused and overcome some of the prejudices against people with albinism that exist in their culture. So we just wanted to highlight a couple stories of our most recent trip. Um, so one of the um, unique friendships we have is with Pastor Mbuke. Pastor Mbuke and his wife, Mama Esther, um, they, um, they're pastors of a Pentecostal um, church in Mwanza. And so Mwanza is where most of the kids um, are, are. And Pastor Mbuke came um, to our very first summer camp. We invited some pastors to come and tour. Because the thing is, is lots of people believe that if you touched a person with albinism, you would, you would get it. So what we were trying to do is invite the pastors and show them, like, we could hug Peter, and we still are, are, are pigmented. Um, and so we had a numerous amounts of pastors that came. Um, they, they met Adam. We showed stories. Um, but Pastor Mbuke's heart really, really grew for this cause. He, he talked about it uh, at the end of the week. We had them come for one day, and you could see he was really visibly yeah. moved and that God was touching his heart. And so he, when we asked him a little bit, like, describe what was going on in your heart. What's God doing? One of the things he said is, it's like a, he said, I have, I have had a second conversion experience. You know, I've, I've, I've become converted to the notion of, of uh, really being a person who is on a mission to love people with albinism. And his church, which is called uh, BMCC, Beacon Missionary Christian Church, has really gone along on this journey with him uh, over the last number of years. And their church has really become a place where people with albinism uh, in the Lake Zone region in Tanzania feel safe, feel valued, feel welcomed, feel like they can walk through the doors and participate and engage in the life of that church in a way that maybe they can't in some other places. And they've definitely faced opposition to that, both internally in their congregation, saying, what are those kind of people doing here? They're different from us. They have issues and challenges. I don't want those people around uh, hanging out by my, with my kids or my people. They're not like us. And so they've had to really wrestle with that and really teach about how God values all people and God's love and God's heart for people, uh, including people with albinism. So this past summer, we um, spent some time with them again um, and under the same sun, bust in all the kids um, to come to church with them. And the kids are very comfortable there, which is really unusual because these kids are not comfortable. They are comfortable with us. We are safe. But their own people group is not safe. They have not, and you would understand that if you think society-wise. Um, so BMCC has made a comfortable place for these kids, so they've all come to church. Um, they would eat together. They all have a meal. We saw them all singing. Even Pastor Mbuke makes all, it would be like me saying, all of you need to leave so that the kids who can't see can have front row. And so then everybody's moved and shuffled. So Pastor Mbuke not only welcomes them, he places them in a, in a place of honor. Um, and I mean, anybody who goes to Africa, like the African church, they know how to worship. Like, and they laugh at us because we try. I mean, me and Brad dance in Africa only. Um, and they pointed us like, you know, like Mzungus. And we're like, yeah, white people don't know how to dance. Um, but, but there's such joy, like unbelievable joy. And you're sweating and you're hot and praising Jesus. So Brad thinks that um, 
heaven um, will be led in um, worship and song by, by the African yeah. continent. Yeah. Um, so we have a really, really little clip. Even Brady gets into it a little bit. They even had like, um, what are those like big horns from like football? Yeah, like what are those? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like dancing around with them. It was hilarious. But anyways, that was that was. Um, so the most touching, I think, one of the most touching moments for me in the summer was um, Mama Esther. Um, she said, would you come to our house for dinner? And we're like, okay. Um, so you push away all your fears. Like, here we are every night taking malaria pills, taking um, everything possible to not get sick. And then these sweet people are like, come to our house for dinner. Sophie was also um, struggling with her health um, and had food limitations. But anyways, we're like, yes, we will come to your house for dinner. Um, and so we go, we drive crazy roads, similar probably to Guatemala. Um, you arrive at their house and they welcome you in. And they literally had like just a huge spread of every type of food. There was all the African food, then there was spaghetti, then there was French fries, then there was like just an enormous amount of food. And it reminds me a bit of, you know, like the Benedictine monks, they say when they welcome somebody into their house, they, they are welcoming Jesus. And we felt very... Um, very welcomed, very warm. Um, so we were eating our food, and um, it's starting to get dark. And I'm like, surely they'll put some lights on at some point. Nope, because we realize they, they have no electricity in their house. Um, we were sitting on a couch. Everybody else was sitting on plastic chairs. And when I went to get up to deliver my dishes into the kitchen, um, which I wasn't really supposed to do, um, I realized there was no kitchen. Like, they had one burner. And then they had all these people, which we didn't know, all these people outside who had been there half of the day cooking for us and washing all the dishes. So here is this humble man and woman of God leading a significantly large church in their community and just offering, just offering us everything. And it was such a beautiful example of hospitality. Um, and I think, you know, one of the moments that caught, that, that's, that I still wrestle with is Mama Esther said to me, and she has not as good English as Pastor Mbuke, but she said, she says, we have so much to learn from your church and your community. And, and I was just like, Esther, we just have so much to learn from you. Like the hospitality we experienced in their church and their commitment to Jesus and their love for people was just unbelievably overwhelming. So, um... Yeah, I think, you know, it's the it's the idea of being learned learning to 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 learn from somebody else. And I think that is a very relevant thing even for us here. Are you willing to learn something new from in an unexpected way, from an unexpected person? And are you willing to receive it? Um, because I think the challenge with anything like this is that we take those lessons and then we just put them in our pocket. <laughs> and we just go, Well, that was Africa and that was Esther. Um, but really, what does that do for me? What does that what is that my call to hospitality, my call to love here in Langley? So maybe for you, that's something that you need to hear and go into your week with, is trying to think about, you know, are there people around you that sometimes you've just not, you're not attentive to what gifts they might be offering or something you could learn from them because you just think, oh, well, I'm, I've got that all together. I've got that sorted out. And so for us, it's just been a beautiful gift to go um, 
just open-handed and not go thinking, oh, we're going to solve all your problems, you know, we're going to engage all these churches. Sometimes it's just radically disappointing. I'll have meetings after meetings with pastors and say, oh, yes, we're going to go and visit those kids, and I'll keep in touch with them. And I'm like, have you gone and visited the kids? Oh, no, I haven't gone and visited again. I'm like, come on, you promised you were going to go. Yeah, but it, it's, it's learning to think about um, just incredibly patient work that God does in our own hearts and also an incredible going with an incredible posture of humility mm -hmm. and just saying, Lord, this is your work. What are you teaching all of us in this? And how are you inviting us uh, into partnership? So we've, we've been on a learning journey in that for sure. Another group that I find teaches me a lot uh, that we've been engaged with there is uh, a group of mothers. And this mama's group um, is uh, incredible. They, if you think about the, these mothers, um, if uh, some of them are pigmented, and so some of them have had multiple kids, and they're pigmented kids, and then suddenly they have a kid with albinism. And so it just completely reorients their family and the dynamics of that. And the village then, if they live out in a village setting, begins to talk, well, how did that happen? Because they don't know. And they said, well, maybe, you know, uh, maybe they were away somewhere. Maybe they've got something. They brought a curse on our village. And sometimes the village will just run them out of town and say, well, you guys are not welcome here. Or the mothers begin to realize, hey, it's not safe for us to live here in this village with our family. And the gossip begins to turn to, you know, a real safety issue. And uh, so then the mothers have to begin to figure out, well, what do I do? You know, being run out of my own home and my own village and all of my support system and network is just gonna dissolve and disappear. Some of these mamas um, have children in the UTSS program. So their kids um, would be um, cared for under the Under the Same Sun Education program and other mothers, um, they, they don't. Um, so it's kind of a mix um, there. But our dear friend Rachel Monger, her dad is Brian Watts. He was a local pastor here in Langley and she's from Langley. Just so happened to be the only person we knew the very first year we went that lived in Tanzania. And we didn't even really know her. We just knew of her. She has started a mama's group. And so all the products you saw over there, um, these mamas um, make. Um, and her, her, Rachel's heart is to support these mamas to help them find sustainable ways that they can make a living. Um, so you saw the products there. The other thing that she is working on doing is she told me last week that they're going to start selling popsicles because now they have a freezer. So they're going to start selling popsicles to a local school as well as bake bread and sell the bread um, to one of the local schools too. That there's more of a sustainable every week um, steady income for these mamas. So they've got this little workshop that we visited and it's really a garage underneath uh, a house that's been loaned to them. And these women come twice a week and they come from way out in the countryside. They'll take buses for hours and hours to get there just simply for the support and the connection that they receive with these other moms who understand their world because they have a kid with albinism. And they are working to try and figure out what are the right sort of mix of products that they can uh, put together to try and be able to sell them. So some of the stuff doesn't sell locally and then we take it here, like it's really to sell to Mazungos like us, uh, like beeswax wraps and soaps and lip balms and all that kind of stuff. And so we've got uh, a, a table full of stuff that they sent us home with and uh, everything that, that is purchased there, then we'll send that money back, get it to Rachel and get it to these women uh, so that they can continue to support their families with that, just to make a little bit of extra money. 
So one of the mamas um, that I wanted to share about, her name is Zuanna. This is Zuanna. A side note, which I learned this last time, they never smile in photos, and, they, and she always looks angry. And I finally asked Rachel about that, and she told us nobody smiles in any photos because it means they don't take you seriously. So all their wedding photos, it's a serious occasion, Very a wedding, strange. so nobody smiles. So anyways, that's why she's not smiling. So this is Zuanna. Zuanna has five children, three of which are born with albinism. When she had her first child with albinism, her husband left. So she, um, so she um, is a single mom working hard to, um, to try to support her kids. When we saw her at summer camp, she was very stern, and that's okay. Like, not everybody feels like they want to chit-chat, or and there's language barriers and cultural barriers, so you're always trying to do the dance of what, what actually is going on. Um, but you could tell all these mamas have had very difficult lives, um, and the pressures and, and the stigmas they face are, are very difficult. Um, so when I saw her in February, she like pretty much sat on my lap, like really, She's really physical. Yeah. And I was like, this is really weird. Loving it. But like, and I was like, is that just we've met now, you know, three times and we've earned her trust or what is that? And, and so I was asking Rachel about it and she goes, no, she goes, Meg, in the summer, she goes, I was away. They were away. And she goes, Zumana walked down the street into a local church and found Jesus. Okay. So this woman, like. This woman found hope. Like, when we were singing, I don't know what that song was this morning, we were singing about, like, I have hope and I have peace because I have Jesus. Like, so this woman still has five children, three of which have albinism. She's essentially a single mom, and she has no money. Like, life is really hard. That has not changed. It has not changed. But she found Jesus, and, and her continence, her, her, her ability, her, her hope in her life has dramatically changed. And for her, it's difficult. She's recently been diagnosed with diabetes, and so she has medication that's available in Tanzania. And it's not that much money, but recently the medication costs doubled for her. And that provides a significant challenge now because she has to take care of her kids. Like, they're not in places of self-sufficiency, and so she's the one that's trying to get out there and work and figure out what can, can be done. And in order, to, now she's got to take care of her own needs as well. And so it's, it's a very challenging life uh, for Zuena and, and for her family. Uh, but one of the things just of noticing that change in her and again, like Meg said, her situation hasn't changed. In fact, it's gotten worse. Uh, but meeting Jesus has changed everything for her. And so that might be a takeaway um, for you today, is just to think about, like, in what ways is your life different since you met Jesus? In some ways, sometimes you get this idea that if Jesus uh, becomes a part of your life, that somehow God will just wipe all your tears away and you'll just be happy all the time. And, but sometimes your circumstances are not going to change. But meeting Jesus is going to change everything for you. And I think these women have to struggle with hope, right? Like, we do too. Like, our challenges are just different. And we struggle for hope too. And, and so this woman, Zuanna is not walking around like, you know, my life is awesome. She, but she's placed her hope in Jesus. And, and that's what's made the difference. I remember very clearly flying um, from Dar. So it was really early on in our, Trump, in our summer. So we'd probably been in Dar for a week. I had sat with numerous um, women. So I sat with a whole group of mamas. I sat with a lot of children. Um, Brad had been off doing some meetings with Peter. And I was just so weighted. Like, um, I don't know, you just start to, you just start to feel desperate. 
and um, you hear stories and you just wrestle with your own desire to want to solve the problem and not and not really feel called to do it. I sat with one mom who's like, I need $200 for tuition and I need it in two days, otherwise I have to pull my kid from school. And I know that by pulling her kid from school, her child's safety is at risk. And hearing very clearly, Megan, you want to give the $200, you could give the $200, that is not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to sit and pray. And just thinking like, but Jesus, like, is that enough? Like, do I believe God that you can do what you say you're gonna do? Do I believe that, that you will bring hope to these people? Do I believe you're gonna bring justice in a situation that is so bleak? You know, do I believe that God will redeem this situation? And I sat in this airplane, I listened to this one song we'll play for you later today, and just wept. Like, I just felt so insignificant. I just felt like what I'm doing, spending hours upon hours praying with these people, didn't seem like enough. And um, I remember texting or emailing a few of you here, and I don't even remember who said it. And they go, it is never a loss to bring somebody to Jesus. Like, there is never a loss to bring somebody to Jesus. So do I trust that um, by bringing them to God is enough? And I think... You know, now I'm like, Zuana, it was enough, right? Zuana was enough. And you would see that um, with the families in Guatemala, too. So you might think to yourself, well, you know, that's a nice story, Brad. It's nice for you and Meg. Um, I can never do anything like that. Like, I'm not good at long airplane rides or dealing with people who have experienced life-altering trauma, or I don't know if I can handle the smells in Africa, or I don't know what I would do if I was faced with like the dynamic of standing toe-to-toe -to -toe against ritual witchcraft and that level of spiritual darkness. Um, and you just might think, well, th then that's not for me. Like, I'll just, I need to tap, tap out up. on that one. <laughs> We did too, and we do every time we go. Um, and I think the, the, the thing that comes back to us is, is similar to Mother Teresa's quote. It just says, not all of us can do great things, and, and like what we're doing is not a great thing, but you can do small things with great love, and I think that grounds us. So what is it that the Lord has for us, that act of obedience, and let's do that with, let's do that with love. And I think some of us sit and we wait for these amazing opportunities to change the world for Jesus instead of God is saying, you know, you have a neighbor who could really use a bit of Jesus, and how are you going to be that? Yeah, if you look, um, if you've got your Bibles, just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or you can go there on your device. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5 to 8. You know, written by Paul, who had a lot of gifts, a lot of skills, a lot of things that, that God put in front of Paul to do, and even though he had all of those things, he still speaks with this just deep sense of humility of the part that God asked him to play. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 5, he's talking about uh, these different people who have different roles. And he says, well, there's this guy named Apollos. Like, who is Apollos? Who am I? We're only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and that was all Paul did. That was his only role in this situation. And then he says, then uh, Apollos watered it, but neither of us are really the big deal. Like it was actually God who was making that seed grow of faith and of goodness and of love. And so Paul just reminds everybody in verse seven, like it's not important who does the planting, it's not important who does the watering, 
What's important is that we trust that God is making the seed grow and God's doing the work. So the one who plants and the one who water, they're important because the work that they're supposed to do, they're supposed to do it together, but they work with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. And we are God's workers and you are God's building and God's field, it says. So the call to love widows and orphans in distress then applies to all of us. It doesn't just apply um, in Tanzania. It doesn't just apply in Guatemala, in India, in Papua New Guinea, where we have lots of missionaries. Um, and it's not just for people who work in ministry. Like it, it's for the plumbers and the electricians and the mothers. and the, it, It's all of us. And so what, you know, what is the little act of service that God is asking you to do in this season, in May, like now? Yeah, it might be you look around and in your neighborhood, maybe there is a single parent family and with all the things that they have on their plate, you look at their lawn and it's just like it's getting really tall because they got a lot of stuff going on. Just take your mower over there and mow it for them. Just be uh, uh, an emissary of kindness. Do a small, simple deed that can make a big difference for them so that that reduces the stigma in, in the neighborhood, thinking like, oh yeah, those people, they don't keep their house together, they don't keep any of that stuff really nice like the rest of us. Like, it might be just a simple deed that you could do that God's putting in front of you. It might be just a seed that you plant um, or, or that you participate in in some way. And for some of you, this might be something that you want to get engaged with. It's one of Jericho's partners uh, amongst the many uh, mission teams that we support and mission works that we support. Uh, and ways that you could do that are, are the same as what we do with other mission partners. The first one is just pray. This is really hard work. Uh, and there's a spiritual intensity and dimension to the work in Tanzania that's just constant for their staff, for the people uh, and the pastors that are on the front lines there, for people with albinism themselves. Uh, and so just as God brings that to your mind, just pray for them. Pray that God would give them strength, that he would resource them in every way. Pray for protection over them. Uh, pray for protection for their families. Pray for protection. Always pray for protection for Peter. Peter has more things happen to him than anybody that I know. And you know, it's because it's of the work that he's engaged with in, in this area. And so even this last week, a number of you were praying for Peter and for his health. Uh, he had uh, an infection that was incredibly difficult to treat, and his doctor said, 